So we've been talking about it's not too late. And last week we left off by introducing a radical concept when it comes to the topic of time. It's not too late to do something great for God. I don't care what your age is. Actually, it's really never too late. Yogi Berra said it this way. It ain't over till it's over. But God says about your dream, it ain't over ever. It ain't over ever. Let's run through some of the scriptures we covered as a launch point for us to delve more deeply into this fascinating topic. Amen. We're not going to hit them all. If you missed last week, I encourage you to bring it up on the podcast and listen to it. It encouraged me. I listened to it in preparation for part two and thought, that's guys good. Amen. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I'm going to read Philippians 3 verse 10, the first part of verse 10, and then verse 12 through 14 in the Amplified. And this is pretty awesome stuff here. This is Paul. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. Now, Paul fervently desired to really know Jesus Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, the power that was loosed when God raised him from the dead. Amen. Let's continue. Verse 12. Not that I have attained this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, grasp, and make my own that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet. But one thing I do, it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me paraphrase what I think Paul was saying in these last few verses. I have not attained the full measure of perfection that was purchased for me by that resurrection power, but I'm making it my life's mission to get as close as I can before I go home to be with the Lord. I leave the past behind and I press on towards my glorious future in Christ Jesus. Now that's my paraphrase. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I believe you can couple this verse, Hebrews 12:1, with Philippians 3:13, which concerns our past, and make the case that one of the things that seems to weigh us down the most is memories of our past, especially all the wrong turns and bad decisions that we made in the past, which we believe, at least in our mind, were destiny-altering moments. We play the all-too-familiar game of what might have been, and we find ourselves rehearsing all of our mistakes and wondering how much further along we would be had we not made them. Amen? Anybody else besides me ever done that? Now, last week, I shared about my own night of torment that really birthed this message. 
And I experienced a few years ago where I spent the entire night with visions of all the mistakes and wrong turns that I'd made throughout my whole life. I mean, I rehearsed everything from my triple overtime loss in the sectional wrestling tournament right here in Greensboro, North Carolina when I was in high school to the flying assignment I took as an Air Force reservist that turned out to be an epic disaster. In my mind, they were both destiny-altering moments in my life. Had I not underestimated my opponent, who I had beaten easily twice before, I could have made it to the state championships. I mean, it was 40 years ago. I mean, come on. But I still found myself remembering that moment when my opponent, that I had beaten pretty handily twice before, made a move that I wasn't ready for, and that was the difference in the match, and he won 3-2 in triple overtime. I still remember that. Mac Ford was his name. He was from Star Mountain. I ran into him a couple of years later at Myrtle Beach, and we said hello and everything. He said, you know, you should have beat me that day. I'm like, do you have to say that? <laughs> he says, because the guy that beat me in the next round, you would have slaughtered. I'm like, I don't need to hear that. So concerning my Air Force assignment, had I not volunteered for that flying assignment in Mississippi, I might have flown for NASA and had a real shot at the astronaut program. After all, just months before, I was one of three pilots interviewed out of 60 for a NASA research pilot position at the NASA Glenn Research Center in Cleveland. I didn't get the job, but I got impatient, and I tried to make things happen myself. How many know that's a recipe for disaster? Anyway, as I testified last week, at the end of that torture-filled night, the Lord really had had enough, and he spoke to me in a powerful, powerful way. He gave me a word of encouragement. And I believe that word applies to me, but also to everyone here this morning. And I'm going to read it to you. I've got it here verbatim. He said, everything you have lost in your past, whether due to mistakes that you made, injustices that were done to you by others, or circumstances beyond your control, can and will be restored in your future if you will run the race that I called you to run and not look back. That's some pretty good advice. How could the Lord say such a thing? Doesn't he know how much time passed? Doesn't he realize how egregious my mistakes were? Well, I tell you how the Lord can say such a thing. Because God had a calling for me and you before the creation of the universe and the gifts and talents that go with that calling are irrevocable. They are irrevocable. If you're not familiar with that $25 word, it means they can't be taken away from you. He will never take away the gifts and callings that He's given unto you no matter how many times you blow it or how many mistakes you made. There's always a second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth, and so on chance. Amen? Second Timothy 1.9, New King James Version. This is a mind blower. It says, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Now, if you know anything about the universe, even the astrophysicists will tell you that time began 
when matter was created. When the universe was created, that's when time began. But the Bible says that you had a gift and a calling set aside for you by Jesus himself, who back then was the pre-incarnate word that he had for you before you were even conceived in your mother's womb and even before the universe was created. Isn't that heavy? Heavy. Marty, does that mean there's some type of gravitational anomaly here? Heavy? Marty! Right. Romans eleven twenty nine in the Amplified. For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. Listen to this. He never withdraws them once they are given, and He does not change His mind about those to whom He gives His grace or to whom He sends His call. He's not going to change His mind. Why should you? Forget the past and press on into your future. Amen? Remember this mind-blowing scripture passage, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21? Now, i got a version up here that's a mix of the KJV, the Amplified, and a literal rendering. Verse 20 is the KJV, and then I switched to the Amplified, and then 21 is a literal rendering of the verse. So let's read it. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, the Amplified says super abundantly, listen to this. Get a handle on this. Far over and above all that we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams, according to the power that worketh in us. Who glory. Unto him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, time without end. Amen. Now, preachers say this all the time, and I... Beg to differ, but there is time in heaven. If you go over there to Revelation chapter 8, you'll find out that when Jesus opened the seventh seal, the Bible says there was silence in heaven for a period of about a half an hour. So there is some kind of time in heaven, and there will be time in heaven forever because once you create a place, time exists because there had to be a time that the place was created And time is the construct upon which cause and effect rest. A lot of people forget that heaven was a created place. This physical universe was created by God, but also heaven, planet heaven, and the city that sits on the north side of that planet was created by God. And it exists in a realm of time, albeit different from ours, it is a realm of time. But the thing I want you to see here in verse 21 is unto him be glory. Unto who? Unto him be glory. The one who's able to do all these fantastic things according to the power of God that's working in us. Unto him be glory in the church, in you and me, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, time without end. That means no generation, nobody gets left out. Every generation of believers can lay hold of this promise. And... There will be time without end, and whether you realize it or not, there is plenty of time to fulfill your calling. I don't care if you're 75, 85, 100 years old. There's plenty of time to fulfill your calling. Praise God. Hebrews 1.3 in the Amplified makes it clear that God was the author of space and time. And if God was the author of time... How can time stop God from fulfilling what he himself has authored in your life? That's profound. I think I need to read that again. 
If God was the author of time, how can time stop God from fulfilling what He Himself has authored in your life? It's a question that answers it itself. Time can't stop God from fulfilling what God has authored in your life. Just trust in His ability to bring those gifts and callings forth no matter where you are in your walk with Him. Let me wax scientific for a minute. Your life, whether you realize it or not, is a continuum. Your life is a one-way continuum. That's a scientific way of saying that once it has begun, there will be no end to it. You had a beginning, but you will never, ever have an ending. God is the only one who's eternal because he existed before and he'll exist forever. But we had a beginning. We're kind of like God, but we're not like God in the eternal sense. We're like God in the sense that we have no ending, but we did have a beginning. We had a beginning, but we will never, ever have an ending. And I believe that the dreams God places in your heart, if you hold fast to them, if you pursue them, if you're faithful to your calling, those dreams will inevitably follow you along that continuum, even into the next life. I know for some people, that's a mind blower. Let, let me give you a scriptural example. Elisha, the prophet Elisha, had a desire to operate in a double portion of the anointing that was on his master Elijah. You can read the whole story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. And if you were to go through 1 and 2 Kings thoroughly, you would find that there are exactly 14 recorded occasions where Elijah operated in that anointing in some way. If you do the same thing for Elisha, you will find that there are 27 recorded occasions where he operated in that same anointing. Now, 27 is one shy of 28, which would be exactly double 14. So was God's promise to Elisha unfulfilled? I trow not, as Jesus says in the King James. (laughs) I trow not. I think not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You would be wrong to conclude that that was the end of the story and that God was not faithful to the dream he had placed in Elisha's heart. If you go to 2 Kings 13, 20 and 21, go there sometime and read it. It's an awesome story. It describes the story of a burial detail that occurred sometime after Elisha's death. When they spotted the enemy coming, they lowered the dead man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the young man's body touched the bones of Elisha, he was raised from the dead. Glory to God. Now, this is a tangent, but I got to go there. I used to tell the Bible students, this illustrates the principle of the anointing. The two T's. The anointing is tangible and it is transferable. It's tangible. It can be felt. It can be experienced. But it's also transferable. Somehow, it can transfer from body to body, but also from inanimate object to inanimate object. I don't understand it. I just believe it. But in this case, consider this miracle. Elisha's bones are in the grave. He is in the bosom of Abraham, his father, and his body produces a miracle because of the anointing that was still resident on his bones. And somebody must have went up to Elisha and said, Oh, by the way, Elisha, your body just gave you number 28. God is faithful. (laughs) Glory to God. I got, man, glory to God. I feel the anointing on that. 
God is faithful. Evidently, his dream followed him along that continuum, that time continuum, that one-way continuum, even after he died, even after he had passed from this life to the next. I tell you what, that gives me a lot of hope because I got some big dreams. What if your dreams are too big for this life? What do you mean? Well, consider the man in the Middle Ages who dreamed of flying to the moon. Now, other than some supernatural way to get there, they didn't have the technology or the know-how. or They didn't even believe it was possible to do such a thing. But we have the technology today to do that. When I was a young man, this is a dream that I've had in my heart since I was about seven years old. I dreamed that I would fly to the stars. Now you say, Brother Scott, it's time that you left that dream behind. That's a little immature, you know. Listen, I may not have made it into the astronaut corps, but one way or another, I'm going to fly in space. Whether I go technologically or he takes me there himself, it's going to happen and it's going to be special because it's a desire that he planted in my heart. Maybe there's something for me in the next life where they will have the technology to go to the stars. That's a whole interesting thought pattern that I can't go into this morning. Amen. But I did write a book about that. Some dreams follow. It's about a guy that was an A-10 pilot, didn't make it into the astronaut program, but because he was faithful to his calling in the next life, in the millennial reign, he led the first starship expedition to the Alpha Centauri system in the book. Amen. It's good to speculate, but listen, I think we have, we have no idea. It's infinitely beyond our ability to conceive the way that God can fulfill the dreams that he put in your heart. We just don't know. Don't limit him. Don't limit him by method. Don't limit him by space. Don't limit him by time. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So what about aborted babies? If what you say is true, Brother Scott, that means that the millions of babies that have been slaughtered in their mother's wombs will still be able to fulfill their destiny and walk in their God-given gifts and callings. It'll just happen for them in the next life. What about long-term prisoners? The prisoner who will spend his entire life incarcerated. Can he use his God-given gifts and callings with the with his circumstances being what they are? Well, he can within the confines of that prison, amen? But there will be opportunity for him, if he's faithful in that prison, to carry it on into the next life. I'm convinced. Because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Even when you go to heaven to get trained to come back here and rule and reign during the millennial reign of Christ, your gifts and callings will be used. I like to put it this way. Right now, whether you realize it or not, you're writing your resume for what you'll do in the millennial reign. It's according to how faithful you are to run the race that God has given you in this life. And you'll get your dream assignment if you're faithful to your calling in this life. Amen. Hallelujah. So let me wrap this up by the, making the following statement. It doesn't matter how soon you think Jesus is coming back, by the way. It doesn't matter whether you believe Jesus is coming back in our lifetime or not. It does not absolve you of your responsibility to run your race and to do what God has called you to do in this life. Too many people have an escape mentality. They got their backpack on and they're ready for the rapture. My word to them is this. 
Drop your backpack and put on your crown and rule and reign in Jesus' name. You don't have to wait for the millennium to rule and reign for Christ in Him. Amen? The parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and companion parable in Luke 19 make it clear that you will be rewarded for your faithfulness with assignments, authority, and responsibilities during the millennial reign of Christ. Be thou over two cities. Be thou over five cities. What do you think that's talking about? That's talking about a realm of authority. And as I said before, your assignment will be based on how faithful you were to use the gifts and talents that the Lord has given unto you in this life. That's why it's so important to run your race now. Because now is not the end. Even when you go to be with Jesus for seven years of training, if if the rapture happens in our lifetime, we'll be there for seven years and then we're coming back here. Now, I believe that Jesus is coming back soon. But as I said before, drop your backpack and put on your crown. Here's the key to running your race in these last days. Live your life like he's coming back tomorrow. But plan your life like he's not coming back for a 100 years. That way you'll always be ready. And when he comes for you, he will find you running your race. Whether we're taken out of here in the rapture or whether we leave this body temporarily, either way, we're all going to be with Jesus in the city of God and our life will continue. We will receive our new bodies. We'll come back to earth to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. And after that, we'll live on. And one of the reasons that God will be able to do infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams in ways that are currently beyond our imagination is because there will be no shortage of days or ways for you and God to get it done. Amen. Amen. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. We believe.